Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings. This is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Saturday, uh, February the 4th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Let's thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal Worldwide uh, Radio Broadcast. Uh, this month, uh, February, is African American History Month in the United States, and all during this month, uh, we will have special programs uh, related uh, to uh, the contributions of people of African descent, not only in the Western Hemisphere, but indeed throughout the continent and the world. This episode features our regular Pan-African Newswire report, We'll have dispatches on the Federal Aviation Administration downing of a Chinese weather balloon, which flew off course into the United States. Pope Francis, in a visit to the Republic of South Sudan, proclaimed that the future of the world's most recent state lies with the role of women. Regional governments in East and Central Africa want an immediate ceasefire in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo and several Kenyan police officers have been found guilty in the assassination of a human rights lawyer. In the second hour, we begin our month-long commemoration of African American History Month. We re-examine the intellectual and scholarly contributions of Dr. Sheikh Antejelp of the West African state of Senegal on the African origins of civilization. Later, we review the seminal work of Dr. Chancellor Williams on the history and the study of the destruction of black civilizations. Finally, we listen to a lecture on the lifetimes and contributions of uh, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, these and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to go to our musical interlude, and uh, we're going to go to the southern African state of Zambia. Uh, we're featuring Paul Ngozi uh, from the album entitled 45,000 Watts, uh, released in 
and my woman, I'm not so free. I am so sad just because of you. I'm missing you each time I think of you. I'll be so happy when I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Ah, 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 ah,
1977 release entitled 45,000 Votes. And of course, uh, Paul Ngozi uh, was born as uh, Paul Dobson Narongo, and uh, he was a musician. He was prominent in Zambian music uh, during the 1970s as well as the 1980s. He first became popular as the band leader of the Ngozi family, a top local rock group, which was one of the first groups to have his music classified as, quote, Zamrock, unquote. He earned his place as a sharp social commentator because the themes of his music was usually very close to society's own lives and therefore easy to relate. Yes, the legendary Paul Ngozi. Right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. And uh, our lead story uh, deals uh, with the recent uh, international news uh, in Fura, uh inside the United States uh, in regard to the downing of a Chinese weather balloon. The United States uh, earlier today announced that it had downed a Chinese airship, uh, which had flown into its airspace over the Atlantic Ocean off the Carolina coast, and an operation is underway to recover the debris uh, from the balloon uh, from the water. The operation was also confirmed by military sources uh, at various American-based news agencies. The United States Federal Aviation Administration, the FFA, the FAA, closed airspace in the area where the balloon was shot down until 5.15 p.m. local time earlier today. The United States Federal Aviation Administration closed airspace in the area earlier the U.S. Department of Defense Press Secretary, Brigadier General Pat Ryder, said that an aerial object presumed to be a Chinese spy balloon had been spotted moving in the north of the country. In his words, the balloon, quote, is currently traveling at an altitude well above uh, the commercial air traffic and does not present a military or physical threat to the people on the ground. The U.S. Department of Defense also pointed out that it was dangerous to shoot the balloon down due uh, to its large size, yet it was uh, down at the orders of uh, United States President Joe Biden. Now, in an editorial in the Global Times, uh, the Chinese uh, state newspaper earlier today, it says that uh, China has blasted the hype 
of a balloon incident, saying China does not accept any uh, groundless speculation or hype and opposes the practice of certain politicians and media in the United States who use the incident to attack China, even though China has explained clearly the balloon spotted in the U.S. is a civilian airship designed for meteorological research purposes and made the unintended entry due to the force majeure. China's foreign ministry also suggested that neither China nor the United States has announced that there would be a visit by the United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken, uh, following news that Blinken has postponed his planned visit to China, citing uh, the incident as an excuse. The unexpected incident of the balloon gave some hawkish anti-China lawmakers a chance to attack China through the hype of, quote, China spying, unquote, and, quote, China threat, unquote, underscoring the increasing tension between the world's two largest economies. And on other news uh, taking place um, on the African continent, uh, Pope Francis warned earlier today that in the Republic of South Sudan, the future depends on how it treats its women. As he highlighted their horrific plight in a country where sexual violence is rampant, child brides are common, and the maternal mortality rate is the highest in the world. On his second and vital tomato day in Africa, uh, Francis called for women and girls to be respected, protected, and honored during a meeting in the South Sudanese capital of Juba with some of the two million people who have been forced by fighting and flooding to flee their homes. Uh, women's girls and children make up the majority of those displaced. And you're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. I am your host, Abayomi Azikawe. In uh, East Africa and Central Africa, regional heads of state have called for an immediate ceasefire by all parties operating in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, where tensions have grown amid talk of war as Congo and neighboring Rwanda trade allegations of backing armed rebels. The communique issued earlier today at the end of an East African Community Summit also directed troops contributing countries to immediately deploy more troops to a regional force created and sent to Eastern Congo last year. It also directed defense chiefs to meet within a week and call for more dialogue and de-escalation of tensions. The heads of state of both Congo and Rwanda attended in a cordial and friendly atmosphere, the communique said. And uh, finally, uh, in the East African state of Kenya, a Kenyan former policeman was sentenced to death uh, yesterday for the murder of a human rights lawyer, his client, and a taxi driver. Frederick Lilleman and three others were convicted of carrying out the murders in 2016 in one of a series of cases of alleged police brutality and extrajudicial killings in Kenya. Lawyer Willie Kamani uh, was representing a motorcycle taxi operator who was suing Lilleman for shooting him at a traffic roadblock. Lilleman later started threatening and intimidating the man. The bodies of Kimani his client, Josephat Mwendwa, and taxi driver Joseph Mwiriri were discovered in the Aldonio Sabuk River in the east of the country just days after they were reported missing. Evidence produced in court showed that the three were abducted after court session on June 22, 2016, were briefly locked up and then taken out and murdered in an open field. Their bodies were discovered on July the 1st 
And with that, uh, we're going to continue uh, with uh, more of the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio broadcast. But before that, we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service that is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. If you'd like to have access to today's Pan-African Journal, Worldwide Radio Broadcast uh, for Saturday, February 4th, uh, 2023, just go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. And uh, right now, uh, we want to take a musical interlude, and we'll be back with more of the Pan-African Journal for this week. Thank you. 
Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, the voice of the legendary Mamie Smith. Uh, Mamie Smith, also known as Mamie Robinson, was born on May 26th of 1891. Uh, she made a transition on September the 16th of 1946. Uh, she was an African-American vaudeville singer, dancer, pianist, and actress. As a vaudeville singer, she performed in multiple styles, including jazz and blues. In 1920, some 103 years ago, she entered blues history, and in fact, music history in general, as the first African-American artist to make vocal blues recordings. Willie the Lion Smith described the background of that recording in his autobiography entitled Music on My Mind. And you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast for Saturday, February the 4th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And February in the United States is African American History Month, started uh, by uh, Carter G. Woodson, a graduate of Harvard University, who uh, taught uh, at Howard uh, University in Washington, D.C., and of course became an independent researcher, publisher, scholar, and lecturer, uh, publishing many books and articles, and of course, founding uh, Negro History Week in 1926, which later 50 years Hence, in 1976, was declared Black History Month, and of course, it's still being commemorated uh, now, uh, some 47 years later. We're going to listen to an interview uh, with the renowned African Senegalese scholar, Dr. Sheikh Anta Jope. Uh, he's going to be discussing in this interview the African origins of humanity and civilization. Uh, the interview uh, will uh, give a somewhat of an academic background to uh, Sheikh Anta Jope. He was a Senegalese historian, anthropologist, physicist, as well as politician. He studied the human race's origins in pre-colonial African culture. Uh, Jope's work is considered foundational to the theory of uh, modern-day African historical studies, though he himself never described himself uh, in those particular terms. The question he posed about cultural bias in scientific research contributed greatly to the post-colonial turn in the study of African civilization. Let's listen uh, to this interview that was done uh, by uh, Howard University Television uh, during uh, the possibly the early uh, or mid 1980s. Uh, let's listen in. And this is the Pan-African Good evening. Journal. We are very World glad Radio to have you with us for this very special program. This program is special because with this evening's guest, we reach a plateau in our quest to find out who we have been and who we are. Our guest is one of the leading anthropologists and Egyptologists in the world, Dr. Sheikh Anta Diop. Dr. Diop was born in Senegal and at age 23, he went to Paris, France to continue advanced studies in physics. In 1966, the first World Black Festival of Arts and Culture, held in Dakar, Senegal, honored Dr. Diop and Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois as the scholars who exerted the greatest influence on black thought in the 20th century. Dr. Diop, who is also a linguist, is director of the Radio Carbon Laboratory at the Fundamental Institute of Black Africa at the University of Dakar in Senegal. In this first segment, Dr. Diop discusses the evolution of mankind. 
Aujourd'hui, la science sait de façon sûre que l'humanité a pris naissance en Afrique, sous la latitude du Kenya, dans cette région qui est à cheval sur le Kenya, l'Éthiopie et la Tanzanie. We are able to say scientifically, scientifically today to say with certainty that mankind was born in Africa on the latitude more or less of, of Kenya and that area which comprises Kenya, Ethiopia, Ethiopia Tanzania. and Tanzania and going on a north-south axis all the way south to South Africa. Oh. Une humanité qui est née sous une telle latitude au niveau de l'équateur n'aurait pas pu survivre si elle n'était pas pigmentée noire dès son apparition. So it's clear that any humanity that had its birth in that region could not have survived in an equatorial region without pigmentation. La nature ne crée rien au hasard. Et elle a protégé l'humanité qui est née sous l'équateur en Afrique par un écran de mélanine. C'est ce qui fait que les premiers hommes étaient nécessairement noirs tant qu'ils n'étaient pas encore sortis de l'Afrique. Nature doesn't do anything by, by chance. And it's for that reason that humanity, mankind that was born in a sub-equatorial region was given melanin to protect its skin. And it's for that reason that it is clear, it is certain, that first man had to be a black man. C'est seulement quand cette humanité va sortir de l'Afrique pour aller peupler le reste de la Terre qu'elle va changer d'aspect suivant les régions géographiques et que les autres races vont apparaître. It is only after that race left Africa to people other parts of the world that had different climatic, uh, different climatic, um, Uh, phenomenon that 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 man changed and became and took on different aspects a different had a different look ces premiers hommes euh, comprenaient en réalité six spécimens l'humanité la nature a créé six spécimens d'hommes avant d'arriver à l'homme que nous sommes aujourd'hui nature created six specimens of, of man before we got to man as we know him today les trois premiers spécimens, je n'ai pas besoin de les nommer, n'ont pas atteint, dans l'état actuel de la recherche scientifique, un potentiel d'expansion leur permettant de sortir de l'Afrique. Donc, ils n'ont jamais été hors d'Afrique dans l'état actuel des recherches. According to the scientific information that we have now, it appears that the first three of these species, which is not necessary to name, never acquired the potential or never arrived at the potential for exporting or leaving their own area. No, n'ont jamais atteint un potentiel d'expansion pour sortir de l'Afrique. They never, they never had a, the potential to expand and to leave Africa. Yes. Mm. Les trois autres sont sortis de l'Afrique. Three others did leave Africa. Les... Le quatrième et le cinquième ont disparu. The fourth and the fifth of these species disappeared. Il ne reste que le sixième qui est l'homme que nous sommes. And what, is, what remains is man as we know him, that sixth species.
le cinquième, le quatre, le cinquième, c'est celui-là que j'ai projeté ici. Vous le voyez. Cet homme ressemble beaucoup à l'homme actuel, mais il n'est pas encore arrivé au stade de l'homme actuel. C'est le cinquième. C'est le cinquième. This is the fifth of these species, which as you will see resembles very much man as we know him today. Mais il n'était pas encore très différencié. He was not yet very, but man as we know him today was not differentiated a great deal from this man. Si vous le regardez, vous verrez que la différence qui le sépare de l'homme que nous sommes, c'est qu'il n'a pas de front. Vous voyez, les yeux sont presque à la place du front. You will see that the difference, the major difference here is that the fifth species did not have a forehead. You'll see that the eyes are situated very close to the top of the head. It's very important, this detail, you have to remember, it has no front. So, it has no, its cerveau interior is very different from the cerveau interior of the actual man. If you look at it, it's like if it had eyes here. It's very important, this is a very important detail. It means that the brain inside was very different from the brain inside of man as we know him today. Et quand on étudie son cerveau, quand on étudie l'anatomie de son cerveau, on voit qu'il n'a pas cette partie-là, ce cerveau antérieur. Brain, le, ce qu'on appelle le lobe antérieur du cerveau, il ne l'a pas. He does not have the anterior lobe of the brain. In studying, in anatomical studies, it, it, is, it has been determined that he did not have this anterior lobe. C'est la grande différence entre lui et l'homo sapiens, sapiens que nous sommes. That is the major difference, the fundamental difference between Homo sapiens sapiens, which is what we are. Et ce spécimen n'a jamais pu sublimer la nature pour créer l'œuvre d'art. This species was never able to overcome nature to an extent that he was able to create works of art. Ensuite, euh, je passe au suivant. And this next slide. Là, nous arrivons à l'homme comme vous et moi. C'est l'homme du milieu. And now we have the, the man in the middle is the man that we are. C'est le crâne du milieu. C'était un noir. C'est l'homme que nous appelons dans la littérature, euh, si vous voulez, préhistorique, l'homme de Grimaldi. This was a black man. This skull is that of a black man, which we call in prehistoric history the Grimaldi man. On sait que c'était un homme de morphologie noire. Quand, quand on voit sa morphologie, on voit que c'était un noir. Vous voyez bien, la forme du visage est très typique. Et nous l'avons comparé avec un crâne d'Africain d'aujourd'hui. Le crâne de gauche, c'est un crâne de Malien que nous avons dans notre collection à Dakar, à Lifan. Et le crâne de droite, c'est le premier homme blanc qui apparaît sur la terre. À la suite de la transformation de l'homme du milieu. The, you can see in looking at the skull in the middle that the morphology of this skull is very much that of blacks. That is the, uh, the skull of modern man. To the left of it, we have the um, skull of modern African man. It is one of those that is in our collection at the University of Dakar. L'homme qui est à droite maintenant, in, et on ne le verra que l'homme qui est au milieu est entré en Europe il y a 40 000 ans. 40, 40 000 ans, le homme dans le milieu a l'Afrique et a été à l'Europe. Il va vivre en Europe de moins 40 000 ans à moins 20 000 ans 
Et c'est pendant cette période d'adaptation à un climat extrêmement froid qui est très différent du climat actuel. Parce que c'est pendant la dernière glaciation que la Terre a connue et qui a duré 100 000 ans. That man, that is, he Il va went... donner naissance donc par mutation et adaptation au, tro au troisième crâne de droite qui est l'homme de Cro-Magnon. The skull at the extreme right of the screen is that of Cro-Magnon man. It was between 40 and 20,000 years ago that the man in the middle left Africa to go into Europe at a time during what is called the final or the last glaciation. The climate in Europe was extremely cold. It was much colder than it is now. And during this period of some 20,000 years, he underwent the adaptation to become what we know as white men. Donc, c'est bel et bien, euh, si on s'en tient sans préjugés, aux données rigoureusement scientifiques, nous sommes bien obligés d'affirmer en toute sérénité que c'est l'adaptation du Grimaldien à ce climat froid qui a donné naissance finalement au type qu'on appelle conventionnellement maintenant le type leucoderme ou l'homme blanc. Le blanc est sorti du noir à la suite d'un processus d'adaptation à un climat froid. Et cela, tous les spécialistes aujourd'hui le savent dans leur forme intérieure, même s'ils ne le disent pas avec autant de netteté. It is very clear to all of the scientists involved in this field, even if they are only able to say it in their, within themselves and unable to say it publicly, that the man that we know conventionally to be a white man evolved from a black man over a period of some 20,000 years of adaptation to a different climate. And if we are to say with any serenity, resting totally on scientific data, that is the conclusion that we must come to. Donc, nous voyons bien que l'humanité, en sortant de l'Afrique et en s'adaptant aux différents climats de la Terre, a donné naissance aux différentes races. It's voilà comment les races sont nées. Donc, la race est une notion géographique. Si le premier homme que vous voyez au milieu n'était jamais sorti de l'Afrique, il n'y aurait pas eu de différenciation raciale. L'humanité serait homogène et noire. If the man that we see in the middle there had never left Africa to people other parts of the world, and if those people in other parts of the world in different climates had not through the process of adaptation become what they are, in various regions of the world, all men would be homogeneous and all men would be black. The rest of the earth would not have been populated, it would be a desert. There would be only humanity noir cantonné in Africa. And the rest of the earth would not have been habited. If that man had not left Africa, the rest of the world would have remained a desert, would never have been peopled. Donc, voilà, vous voyez donc que j'ai répondu à la question que vous m'avez posée en demandant où se situe le noir dans l'évolution de l'espèce humaine. Je vous réponds qu'en toute rigueur scientifique, le premier homme de la Terre était un noir qui va se différencier pour donner naissance aux autres races. Voilà la conclusion à cette première question. And so, to answer precisely your first question, which is, or was, 
to what extent or in what way does do blacks figure in the origin of man? The answer is the first man was black and it was he who gave birth to other races of the world. You have knocked out my first five questions. Vous avez annulé la nécessité de poser les cinq premières questions. Il faut les poser parce que j'avais des choses, j'avais noté mentalement des choses auxquelles je voudrais répondre. Même poser-les rapidement. You must still ask them even if you do it quickly because he has reserved other information in response to them. Why was it not possible for mankind to have been born in many parts of the earth? Pourquoi n'était-il pas possible que man soit né dans quelques centres dans le monde? Justement, quand les études de paléontologie humaine n'étaient pas encore assez avancées, il y avait deux théories qui s'affrontaient. When human anthropology had not quite evolved to the extent that it has now, there were two theories that kept confronting one another. La théorie selon laquelle l'homme est né en un seul endroit et s'est différencié pour donner naissance aux autres races, celle que je viens d'exposer, avec ses défenseurs. There was the theory that he has just explained that man was born in one place and became different as he peopled other parts of the world. That theory had its defenders. Il y avait une autre, cette première théorie, c'est celle qu'on appelait, qu'on appelle toujours, la théorie du monogénétisme, c'est-à-dire d'une seule origine de l'espèce humaine. This is called a monogenetic theory. That is that there was one source for mankind. Il y a l'autre théorie maintenant, comme proposée, qui voulait que certaines conditions étant réalisées, qu'il ait existé un homme né en Afrique, un autre homme né en Europe, un homme né en Asie. Donc, l'homme aurait connu l'apparition de l'humanité serait le résultat, si vous voulez, de plusieurs centres. L'homme, l'origine de l'humanité aurait connu plusieurs centres. Et on appelait cette théorie la théorie du polycentrisme, ou du polygénétisme. The second theory is that of, is a polygenetic theory, which believes or contends that man was born in Africa and also in Europe and also in Asia. In other words, that there were several, several locations in the world where where man finds his origin. Et que d'ailleurs, c'est cela qui pourrait expliquer leurs différences. And it is that that explains their differences. Alors, cette théorie était même la théorie du sens commun. Je ne dis pas du bon sens, mais du sens commun. C'est-à-dire, il paraissait a priori, au premier abord, plus normal qu'il ait existé un homme au niveau de chaque continent. That was, that theory has a certain amount of made a certain amount of sense, not that it made good sense, but it made a certain amount of sense. It would explain that there are different peoples in different parts of the world with different, with different characteristics. Mais, lorsqu'on y regarde après, il y a deux faits qui sont venus infirmer cette théorie. But there, when it, under closer scrutiny, it was very, there were two things that made this theory fall apart, more or less. D'abord, la nature ne passe jamais deux fois par le même point dans son évolution. The first is that nature never strikes twice in its evolution. It doesn't ever hit 
the same place two times. Nature doesn't create twice the same thing. In the animal kingdom... Uh, the same being. The same being. The, in the animal kingdom, you can see that, that throughout the evolution of, of animals, a, a, a being was created and it either disappeared or changed somewhat or a new being completely was, was created, but never the same being twice. And to remain strictly scientific, it doesn't make common sense to say that man was created twice. D'autre part, la recherche préhistorique a prouvé maintenant que c'est la thèse qui paraissait la plus invraisemblable qui a triomphé maintenant au niveau de tous les scientifiques. Tous les hommes maintenant savent de façon certaine que l'homme a une seule origine. C'est dans cette même région du Kenya. Parce que c'est là que nous trouvons, si vous voulez, tous les stades antérieurs. Tous les stades antérieurs. It is in this region, that is this region in Kenya, where we find all of the most ancient uh, evolutionary information. Um, it's, and it's for this reason that scientists are now able to say with certainty, it's with certainty that they, at least they know that this, is, that this is the case, that man could only have been created one time. Tous les fossiles que nous trouvons à l'extérieur de l'Afrique, en dernière analyse, apparaissent toujours comme des fossiles plus récents que ceux trouvés en Afrique et qui leur correspondent. All fossils that have been found outside of Africa have been found under close uh, an analysis to be much more recent than those found in Africa. Et aucun autre continent que l'Afrique ne possède la série complète des six spécimens dont je vous ai parlé. And no other continent in the world has the complete series of fossils indicating the six specimens that I spoke of before. Je vous ai dit que les trois premiers ne sont jamais sortis de l'Afrique. Ça veut dire que ni en Europe, ni en Asie, encore moins en Amérique, on ne trouve ces trois premiers spécimens so qui sont le début de l'humanité. These three specimens which represent the very beginnings of mankind cannot be found in Europe, they cannot be found in Asia, and of course cannot be found in America. They never left Africa. The complete set remains in Africa. Donc, euh, autant de preuves accumulées qui aujourd'hui donnent la certitude que l'homme est né en Afrique. The accumulation then of the best information now makes it very clear that man had his origins in Africa. Euh, ici en Amérique, vous n'avez que le spécimen sapiens sapiens. On n'a pas trouvé dans l'état actuel de la science, sur toute l'étendue de l'Amérique, depuis la terre de feu jusqu'en Alaska, il n'y a qu'un homme moderne. Et l'Amérique a été peuplée par le détroit de Bering à la fin de la dernière glaciation dont j'ai parlé. Donc, il n'existe qu'un seul spécimen, le dernier ici en Amérique. The only specimen, as we've seen in the, on the slide, that, that appears in America is that of Homo sapiens sapiens. America was peopled through the Bering Straits at the end of the final glaciation, and it is for that reason that we find only Homo sapiens sapiens in America. In Asia, we have Homo erectus. In Asia, we have Homo erectus. And the Neanderthal and Homo sapiens. And the Neanderthal man and Homo sapiens. 
En Europe également, on a l'homo erectus, l'homme de Neanderthal et l'homo sapiens. In Europe, we have the same, homo erectus, Neanderthal and homo sapiens. Et tous sont sortis de l'Afrique. Euh, les uns pour passer, sont passés par l'isthme de, de Suez pour aller vers le sud-est asiatique et les autres sont passés par le détroit de Gibraltar pour aller à travers l'Espagne dans le midi de la France. Et à partir de là, ils ont irradié jusqu'au lac Baïkal en Extrême-Orient. The, some of them left by the, the Suez, the, the Suez Canal or the Isthmus of Suez to go into, the, into Asia and, and Eastern Europe and some went by the Straits of Gibraltar up into the north and into, into Europe. Le polycentrisme est une théorie qui voulait absolument établir la hiérarchisation des races, qui voulait démontrer qu'il existe des races inférieures et des races supérieures. This polycentric theory is, to that theory, it is essential, or it makes the, it makes the effort to establish a hierarchy of races, that, and to indicate that some races are inferior to others. En effet, si les trois races de l'humanité avaient des origines différentes, on aurait pu supposer que pour une raison ou une autre, il y a une hiérarchisation des, des capacités intellectuelles. But if Parce qu'ils n'auraient pas eu le même héritage. But if man had, has the same origin, then of course there cannot be no, there, there can be no, no intellectual hierarchy because all of the races of the world, the three races of the world, would have had the same intellectual history. Est-ce que j'ai bien traduit ça? Euh, je je dit que si les trois races avaient des origines différentes, euh, on aurait pu supposer qu'elles puissent avoir des capacités intellectuelles différentes et donc défendre l'idée de l'inégalité des races. C'est clair? If the three races had had different origins, then one could say that they had different cap intellectual capacities, mm -hmm. having had a different intellectual history. Donc, on aurait pu défendre l'inégalité des races. Cette théorie, donc, est pour la défense de l'inégalité des races, la théorie du polycentrisme. The polycentric theory, then, is essential to defending the notion that there are inequalities between the races. C'est pour ça qu'elle a eu des défenseurs très acharnés. It's for this reason they've had people to, that it has been defended by, so rigorously by, or vigorously by people. Mais la science l'a définitivement écarté. But science has, without question, set it aside. Euh, donc, euh, la théorie monogénétique, elle, montre que puisque la souche humaine est commune, que toute l'espèce humaine a les mêmes capacités intellectuelles, so qu'elles soient noires, blanches ou jaunes. So Je ne suis pas en train de montrer, par exemple, que le blanc est supérieur au noir. Ce ne serait pas que le noir est supérieur au blanc. Ce serait faux. It's the monogenetic theory then that that poses the, or will support the notion that that because our origins are the same. We have the same intellectual capacities. I am not hoping to say, by saying that, however, that blacks are superior to whites. That would also be false. Donc, aucune race n'est supérieure à l'autre. No race is superior to any other. Toutes les races ont les mêmes capacités intellectuelles. 
Justement, le lobe antérieur du cerveau dont je vous ai parlé est le même pour toutes les races. The anterior lobe that I showed in the slide earlier is exactly the same for all the races. On a fait des travaux extrêmement poussés ici en Amérique, en Europe et partout sur l'anatomie du cerveau. The studies of the anatomy of the, of the brain have been, have been numerous and very extensive here in this country, in Africa and, and everywhere in the world. En Europe. And in Europe. Oui. Mm -hmm. Et on n'a jamais trouvé de différence hein, significative permettant une hiérarchisation raciale surtout au niveau de l'anatomie du cerveau antérieur dont je vous ai parlé. And no, in no way has, has a difference significant, has any significant difference been found to indicate that there is some anatomical difference in the brains of the various races. Um, surtout au niveau and, du cerveau antérieur. And certainly not in the, and certainly not in the case of the, the fore part or the forefront of the brain. Uh, donc, tous les biologistes savent ce que je dis en ce moment. Hein? Toutes ces analyses, les résultats de ces analyses sont concluants et tous ceux qui s'occupent justement euh, de biologie hein, humaine savent tout ce que je vous ai dit aujourd'hui sur ce point-là. Cette question-là aussi, au niveau de tous les scientifiques sereins, objectifs, est une question qui est acquise. Que les, les races ont les mêmes capacités intellectuelles. Mais il peut y avoir, l'une peut être momentanément dominée par l'autre, c'est tout. Dans l'Antiquité, les Noirs ont dominé les Blancs, comme nous allons le voir tout à l'heure. Par la suite, les Noirs, les Blancs ont pris le dessus, comme aujourd'hui. All biologists and those scientists who are aware of this information know that there is no longer any question as to whether there is a superiority among the races. It is, it is, however, possible that one race or another can dominate temporarily um, another race or other races. In antiquity, it was blacks who dominated, and that is perhaps not the case now. No. You have spent much of your life studying the history of Egypt. Who were the ancient Egyptians? How did they look? Ici, euh, cette reproduction est importante. Hmm? This is a very important reproduction. Euh, C'est ce dans le tombeau de Ramsès III. This is found in the tomb of Ramses III. 20e dynasty. The 20th dynasty. Hmm? Vous avez le personnage de gauche. The person on the left. C'est le type général, donc, euh, représenté par l'artiste égyptien lui-même. This is the general type represented by the Egyptian artist himself. Le second, c'est le type général de tous les, de, de, les Européens, de l'Ara, si vous voulez, de tous les Occidentaux. And the, the second person or personage is the general type of all the Europeans yes. represented by the artist. Le troisième, c'est le type général de tous les autres Noirs de l'intérieur du continent. And the third personage is uh, the general type representing all the other groups found at the, in the interior of the continent. Of the Africa. Of the, the continent of Africa.
Good evening and welcome to the final part of our interview with one of the leading international scholars in the fields of anthropology and Egyptology, Dr. Sheikh Anta Diop. Dr. Diop, a nuclear physicist, is director of the Radiocarbon Laboratory at the University of Dakar in Senegal. In this segment, Dr. Diop discusses a scheme designed to, well, let's take a look. This is a picture of the Piltdown Man. And it is to demonstrate to you the length to which certain anthropologists have gone to establish their theories. The Piltdown Man was created by a British anthropologist in 1912 by the name of... Uh, Downson, a ge geologist. Geolog. A geologist, I'm sorry. He was a geologist, Mr. Downson. Il a fabriqué de toutes pièces ce fossile qui est faux. He fabricated by piece by piece this fake fossil. He dug in the, in the dirt in Sussex in English, in England. Like modern man, he has, the, he has eyes and he has the forehead as we do, as modern man does. Mais vous voyez, regardez sa mâchoire. Sa But mâchoire est, un, est une mâchoire de singe, durant autant, avec les deux canines. Regardez les deux canines, c'est une mâchoire de singe. You can see that, that his mandible, I think it's called, yes. is that of a monkey. Yes. Uh, And his canines yes. are that of a, of a monkey. Uh, c'est en 1900, et justement, cet homme, ce, ce, ce spécimen, qui est un faux, avait donné naissance dans le domaine de l'anthropologie physique à la théorie des pré-sapiens. C'était pour démontrer que l'homo sapiens est né en Angleterre. From this fabrication grew a, a theory called the pre-sapiens theory, mm -hmm. uh, which was, was manufactured to establish that this man was the predecessor of modern man. And that, in fact, man had his origins or was born in Europe. Et particulièrement en Angleterre. And especially in, in England. Et vous avez ici des défenseurs, de, je ne sais pas si je peux les citer, mais il y a des anthropologues américains euh, qui ont épousé cette thèse-là et nous savons aujourd'hui qu'elle est fausse. And there are American anthropologists Which, who, who took this theory as their own and, to, and defended it, and we know today that it is false. Uh, en France aussi, il y a eu des anthropologues qui l'ont défendu, et nous savons qu'elle est fausse aujourd'hui. And in France also, there were anthropologists who defended the theory, and of course we now know Alors, that it was false. Et comment avez-vous dit qu'elle est fausse C'est parce qu'il mm -hmm. y a un autre savant anglais de bonne foi, cette fois-ci, qui l'a analysé et qui a démontré sa fausseté. And we know that it is false, or we learn that it was false, by another anthropologist, English anthropologist, who analyzed it and discovered that it was in fact fake. C'est le professeur Oakley 
qui, euh, et qui travaille au British Museum et qui a démontré la fausseté de ce spécimen en 1954. Mais vous voyez, pendant près de 50 ans, le mal était déjà fait parce que la communauté scientifique était divisée en deux courants. Un courant défendant la théorie monogénétique et un courant défendant la théorie polygénétique appuyé spécialement sur ce spécimen. Donc nous voyons quand même qu'il y a des savants de bonne foi et leur action comprend justement celle des autres. Et quand nous les rencontrons aussi, il nous faut les saluer au passage. C'est le cas du savant Oakley dont je viens de vous parler. So we must give credit to those, to those um, anthropologists or those scientists who, who are working with a clear head and a clear, clear idea or objective uh, spirit. And we must note them as we go along, as, as we must note uh, Professor Oakley in this case. You have spent much of your life studying the history of the ancient Egyptians. Who were the ancient Egyptians? How did they look? Voilà, les Égyptiens ressemblaient à ces peuples que vous voyez. Voici le premier roi de la terre. Here you have the first king of the earth, the very first. And the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians, looked like this man. Euh, cet homme a des traits, euh, si vous voulez, plus, comme nous disons, vous m'aviez dit tout à l'heure de ne pas employer un terme, mais sur le plan scientifique, euh, c'est un terme consacré en ça, il a des traits de, de la race noire plus marqués que celle de presque tous ceux qui sont ici dans cette salle. You vous... can see that he has those traits that are associated with the black features. Those features associated with the black race, which are even more pronounced than many of the people here. It was this man who unified the Nile Valley from upper to lower Egypt, and this was 3,300 years before Jesus Christ. Yes. Uh, je passe donc, uh, ce que je vais dire avant de passer au suivant, c'est que vous allez le voir donc, déjà d'après ces traits, et les traits aussi des pharaons qui vont suivre, You can see by his features and those of the pharaohs and kings that, that will follow it. Que les anciens Égyptiens n'étaient pas des blancs qui se seraient, qui seraient devenus progressivement noirs et en perdant leurs traits. You can see that they were not a people that, that started as whites and became progressively more black. Mm -hmm. Mais qu'au départ, c'était des Noirs authentiques qui, à la basse époque, vont se métisser avec des Blancs. They were instead black people, an authentic black people, but which never ceased to be black. Donc, attendez, okay. je dis en un mot. Donc, vous voyez que les anciens Égyptiens étaient des Noirs comme euh, tous les autres naturels de l'Afrique, c'est tout. You can see that the, the first uh, men, the first the Egyptians were black men, 
like black men that you see in Africa now? Ici, euh, cette reproduction est importante. Hmm? This is a very important reproduction. Euh, C'est dans le tombeau de Ramsès III. This is found in the tomb of Ramses III. 20e dynastie. The 20th dynasty. Vous avez le personnage de gauche. The person on the left. C'est le type général, donc, euh, représenté par l'artiste égyptien lui-même. This is the general type represented by the Egyptian artist himself. Le second, c'est le type général de tous les, de, de, les Européens, de la race, si vous voulez, de tous les Occidentaux. And the, the second person or personage is the general type of all the Europeans yes. represented mm. by the artist. Le troisième, c'est le type général de tous les autres Noirs de l'intérieur du continent. And the third personage is uh, the general type representing all the other groups found at the, in the interior of the continent. Of the Africa. Of the, the continent of Africa. Oui. Le quatrième, c'est le type général de tous les sémites habitant l'Asie. The fourth personage is the general type of all of the Semites living in that area of, of Asia. Et ceci est un tableau ethnographique. Voilà les, les races qui existaient à l'époque, telles que les Égyptiens les ont connues, vues et représentées. This is... De uh, uh, différentes races. De différentes races uh, représentées par les artistes and these are the races that existed in his time as uh, he saw them. Nous sommes à 1200 avant Jésus-Christ. We are 1200 years before Jesus Christ. Yeah. Donc, vous voyez que les Égyptiens ne se sont jamais confondus avec les Européens. So the, à, the oui. Egyptians were never confused with the Europeans. Ni avec les Semites. Nor with the Semites. Et qu'ils ne se sont jamais différenciés sur le plan de la couleur, n'est-ce pas, sur le plan ethnique des Africains. And they never became different from, on, the, on an ethnic plane, from the other Africans. Regardez, ces reproductions sont assez significatives à ce point de vue. So this is a, fairly significant from this point of view. Or, cette image, c'est la première fois, depuis que Lepsis, c'est un relevé d'un savant allemand, qui s'appelle Lepsius. Mm -hmm. This was discovered by a uh, German scientist who is called Lepsius. Et vous ne l'avez jamais vu reproduit dans un autre ouvrage avant cette projection. And before this, you have not seen this reproduced in any other, in other, any other form dans or un work livre, dans or any autre. other work. Uh, vous voyez donc que c'est de cette manière que la science n'est-ce pas, s'est écarté petit à petit de la réalité et de la vérité historique en ce qui concerne l'Égypte. And so you can see how history departed little by little from the reality. How did ancient writers describe the ancient Egyptians? Tous les écrivains grecs et même romains de l'Antiquité ont déposé dans le même sens pour nous affirmer que les anciens Égyptiens de leur époque, pourtant qui étaient déjà très métissés, étaient des Noirs. All of the writers of ancient Greek and ancient Rome 
agreed yes, that the Egyptians of their epoch, of their time, were in fact black. Or, cet Egypte-là, c'est l'Egypte de la fin. Donc, de la fin, donc, de l'histoire égyptienne. But these were the Egyptians of the end of the, the great e Egyptian civilization. Jésus-Christ, ça fait donc une période de 900 ans. For a period of some 900 years, beginning at the 4th century before mm -hmm. Jesus Christ and going through the 5th century after, the Greeks were constantly witnessing to the fact that the Egyptians were black. Donc, les Égyptiens sont considérés comme des Noirs depuis l'origine jusqu'à la fin de leur histoire. So, they would be considered black from their origins, from their beginnings, all the way to the end of their civilization, voilà. as is indicated by the first king, the slide which we saw. Voilà. Alors, les autres, je vous les montre rapidement, je passe rapidement là-dessus. I will show you quickly the, the others. Ici, vous avez Djoser. Troisième dynastie, 2778 avant Jésus-Christ. This is the third dynasty of Noir existait déjà. Troisième dynastie. Troisième dynastie. Avant les pyramides, donc. La seconde, ça va être celle des pyramides. Okay. Eh bien, avec Djoser, tous les éléments de la civilisation égyptienne étaient déjà en place. With this king, in the third dynasty, all of the things that we admire the Egyptians for were already in place. Nous verrons que c'est sous son règne que l'architecture en pierre de taille va être inaugurée. La grande architecture égyptienne. The great Egyptian architecture was evolved under his, his reign. Uh, 2300 ans avant la naissance de l'architecture en Grèce. 2300 ans avant la naissance de l'architecture. 2300 years before the birth of architecture in Greece. Et aussi 2000 ans même avant la naissance, euh, on peut dire qu'à cette époque-là, les Grecs n'existaient même pas encore dans l'histoire. You can say, it can be said that at that point, the Greeks didn't even exist in history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, la mathématique, la médecine, medicine. tout était déjà présent sous ce pharaon. Everything was already in place during his reign. Donc, la civilisation égyptienne dont nous parlons est née, n'est-ce pas, sous le règne de ces pharaons typiquement africains. And so, civilization, or Egyptian civilization as we know it, was born under the reign of these pharaohs. Ici, vous avez le Sphinx. This is the Sphinx. Mm. Lors de la mission française euh, qui accompagnait le Napoléon, euh, quand Napoléon est allé en Égypte, il était accompagné d'une mission de savants. Ce sont des Français qui sont comme ça sur le Sphinx, qui font des mesures. These are, are Frenchmen who uh, were part of a, on top of the Sphinx, they are measuring there on top of the Sphinx, they were part of a, a mission that accompanied Napoleon. Au 19e siècle. In the 19th century. Vous voyez que le profil du Sphinx à cette époque-là était encore plus typiquement africain que maintenant. You see that the profile of the Sphinx at that time was even, was more authentically African than it is now. 
depuis l'érosion l'a détruit encore un petit peu vous savez le vent de sable constamment qui frappe le visage the wind and the sand has eroded the sphinx considerably et vous, vous savez que le nez du sphinx est au british museum the et, nose of the sphinx is in the british museum et, et on aurait pu le récupérer pour revoir un peu quel était le visage l'Egypte pourrait très bien le Essayer de le récupérer, ça c'est au moins la moindre des choses. Mais peut-être que ces traits sont si typiquement africains que personne n'a envie de les reconstituer it, tels qu'ils étaient. It's perhaps because the features are so typically African that no one wants to see that that comparison be made. When was the slide, uh, this drawing rendered done? Est-ce que vous pouvez nous dire la date de, de cette euh, illustration euh, 2600 avant Jésus-Christ, c'est l'époque des pyramides. Ici, nous sommes là, à la, sous la quatrième dynastie. C'est le profil du pharaon Khafren. Hmm? C'est la quatrième... Oui C'est pas le sphinx qu'il veut savoir. C'est l'illustration à l'époque où Napoléon était là, n'est-ce pas Oui. C'était quand C'est 1800, à la fin du 19e siècle. Fin du 19e siècle. The end of the 19th century. Je passe. Mm -hmm. Ici, vous avez donc ici Amenophis Ier. Vous voyez qu'il est typiquement africain. Euh, donc, vous voyez que les pharaons ne se peignent pas toujours le corps en ocre rouge. C'est une habitude africaine. Tous les peuples africains, depuis la haute préhistoire, ont l'habitude de se peindre le corps en ocre rouge. This is Amenhotep I, and you can see that he is, this is, he was his natural skin color. He is not painted. Vous voyez aussi que ses cheveux sont crépus. And you can also see that his hair is kinky. Mm -hmm. Disons, c'est cette dynastie qui va conquérir toute l'Asie occidentale. It is this dynasty represented here that, that conquers mm -hmm. all of the western world. Yeah. Uh, toute l'Asie occidentale. All of western Asia. Et aussi toutes les îles de la mer Égée. And also all of the, the Aegean Sea. C'est une époque d'impérialisme africain. This is the period of African imperialism. À cette époque, c'est l'Afrique noire qui avait l'initiative historique. It's at that point that, that it is at this point that Africans had the imperial initiative. Et dominer tous les autres peuples, soit de la mer Égée, hein, donc de la Méditerranée orientale ou de l'Asie occidentale. And they dominated all of the people from the Mediterranean all the way into to far, the Far East. Un pharaon de cette dynastie. There was of this dynasty, uh, qui s'appelle Tutmosis III, who were called Tutmosis Tutmosis the third, yeah. avait conquis 111 états. Conquered 100 111 states in all. Uh, avait, il les avait conquis pour les, et qui étaient entrés dans, and they, les a intégrés dans l'Empire égyptien. And they made them part of the Egyptian Empire. Ici, vous voyez euh, Ramsès II et un Tutsi. La parenté est frappante aussi entre la coiffure du, du pharaon, la coiffure du Tutsi et le casque, et le casque du pharaon. Here you have Ramsès II and a, a Tutsi warrior. You're, it's remarkable the, the similarity between 
the Tutsi's hair, hairdo, uh, and the helmet worn by the pharaoh. Or, ce pharaon est encore un des plus prestigieux justement de toute l'histoire égyptienne. He is one of the, certainly one of the most prestigious of the uh, Egyptian pharaohs. Vous voyez que des deux côtés, vous n'avez que la même réalité africaine, la même réalité anthropologique africaine. And you see the same reality, anthropological reality, that is African, the similarities between the two. Aussi, ça c'est Mentorotep premier. Aussi, vous voyez, il est noir. You can see another, another pharaoh who is also black. Typiquement. Typic, typical of, of that time. Donc, c'est le fondateur de la 11e dynastie. This is the founder of the 11th dynasty. La ville de Thèbes lui a voué un culte pendant mille ans. For some 1,000 years, the city of Thèbes in Upper Egypt worshipped this pharaoh. Ici aussi, vous voyez, un peuple qui représente ces dieux en couleur noire, c'est Osiris, qui est toujours représenté sous les traits d'un homme noir. Here, here you see uh, the represent, uh, representation of one people who always indicated their gods to be black, of, of skin color. Ici, vous avez Ephnaton, le premier prophète qui a dit que Dieu est un, l'inventeur du monothéisme. This is the inventor of monotheism. Uh, the non. first to say that there was one God. Oui. C'est uh, justement le pharaon uh, qui a dit pour la première fois que Dieu est, est un et qu'on ne doit pas le représenter par une image. This is the first pharaoh to say that there is one God and that he must not be, that God must not be represented by images. Il était avant Moïse. He was before Moïse. Moses. Euh, la Bible n'existait pas encore. There was no Bible, not yet. À cette époque-là, la pensée religieuse encore, vous voyez, est partie de l'Afrique. C'est l'Afrique qui a initié la religion monothéiste. And so it is even Africa that is the origin of monotheistic religion as well. Vous voyez, ce pharaon avait six filles avec la reine. Nefertari. This pharaoh had six daughters with his queen Nefertari. Alors, une des filles est sur les genoux de la reine. One of the daughters is in the lap of the queen. Je vais la, je l'ai reproduit dans l'image suivante. Vous allez la voir. Hein? You see her again in la the, voilà. That's ouais, sur les genoux de sa mère. Regardez comme elle est typiquement africaine. See how she is typically African. Avec la coiffure totémique. Un Africain sait que cette coiffure est totémique. And an African would know that this is a totemic hairdo. Et je l'ai comparé avec euh, un Mangbetu qui est la femme d'une tribu africaine actuelle pour la déformation du crâne. I have um, compared her with, with one of the, the African tribes that is known for the forming of the, mm. of the skull. Yeah. Ici... Ça, j'ai pris une publication de la revue euh, de Ivan Van Sertima, et du professeur Finch. One of the mm -hmm. magazine, one of the uh, reviews or journals of 
Dr. Van Surma and Dr. Finch. J'avais ces reproductions, mais j'ai préféré les prendre dans les leurs parce que ces photos sont mieux rendues que celles que certaines que j'ai. I chose these because they are so much better done than others that I have. Vous voyez bien la la femme qui est à droite est la mère du pharaon que vous avez vu là tout à l'heure. C'est le pharaon Ikhnaton qui est à gauche et sa mère est à droite, la reine Taï. This is the pharaoh on the left and this is his mother on the right. Her, her name is Taï. Cette reine a joué un rôle prééminent dans la diplomatie de l'Égypte à cette époque. This woman, this woman had a preeminent role in diplomacy in Egypt at that time. Tous les rois dont je vous ai parlé, tous les rois télés là dont je vous ai parlé tout à l'heure, que l'Égypte avait conquis sous la 18e dynastie. All of the kings that I've spoken to you about um, who made their conquest up, up to the... Euh, euh, sous la dynastie précédente. In, uh, in the previous dynasty. Oui. Donc écrivez à cette femme wrote to this woman pour lui demander auprès de son fils to intervene hmm? in these matters with her son so that they could be in the good graces of this king. Donc, le pharaon était encore jeune. The pharaoh was still very young. Et c'est lui, donc, vous voyez bien que la mère, cette femme-là, est la mère du premier prophète de la terre. Et vous voyez bien. Voici la mère qui est très africaine et voici le premier prophète lui-même aussi, le voilà. There you see this mother who, who is so typically African and then you see next to her also typically African, the first prophet of, of the world. Why is the history of Egypt so crucial to black people? What's at stake? Mais parce que, comme je l'ai souvent dit, la civilisation égyptienne, d'après tout ce que je viens de vous montrer, a joué le même rôle que la civilisation vis-à-vis -vis de l'Afrique, que la civilisation gréco-romaine vis-à-vis de l'Occident. Because Egyptian civilization played the same role for Africa that the Greco-Roman civilizations played for the Western civilization. Et donc, si nous voulons euh, recréer un corps de sciences humaines en Afrique, il nous faut repartir de l'Égypte. If we are to create a body of, of, of the human, of social sciences, then we must part, as, take as a point of departure, Egypt. Euh, renouer avec la, les antiquités égyptiennes. Tied to ancient Egypt. C'est la seule façon, comme je le dis souvent, de réconcilier les civilisations africaines avec l'histoire. It's the only way to reconcile African civilizations with history. What would you say to the black parent who is satisfied with his or her child learning only European or white history? Non, euh, il faut apprendre l'histoire des autres, mais il faut se connaître d'abord. You, it's fine to learn the history of others, but you must know your own self first. Sinon, un peuple qui perd la mémoire historique est devenu un peuple fragile. If a people 
forgets its historical memory or loses its historical memory, it becomes a very fragile people. Il se désagrège. C'est la conscience historique qui nous permet de rester un peuple fort. They regress, and it is that historical memory which permits them to be a strong people. C'est pour ça que même dans la diaspora, cette conscience doit être vivifiée. Il faut que ce lien continue d'exister où que nous soyons. Even in the diaspora, these ties must remain. Ceci ne va pas à l'encontre des lois des différents états dans lesquels nous vivons aujourd'hui. This can only help us make it and make our lives better in the various countries in which we live. La plénitude culturelle mm -hmm. doit faciliter mm -hmm. la fraternisation des races. The, the fullness of our, our culture will help us in, in, in finding or seeking the, the fraternity among races that we must have in this world. Pork and beans are taboo Cause I'm getting my 
being worthy of you, dear, in every way. I'm building a perfect position. And besides, dear, I want you to hollow ray. When first you see me in the soul to speak, you still feel I'm your ideal. For you, anything I will do. Cause I'm getting myself ready for you. Welcome back, and uh, that was the music of Blanche uh, Calloway, and I'm getting myself ready for you, and you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast for Saturday, February 4th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Uh, February is African American History Month uh, in the United States, and uh, next up, we're going to hear from the legendary African historian Chancellor Williams, uh, his seminal work, uh, The Destruction of Black Civilization, is taken up in this interview. Let's listen in. This is the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast. Uh, I am your host, Abayomi Azikawe. And uh, this is uh, African American History Month, uh, 2023. Blacks hate blacks. It's not just a myth. Why is it we do not have the same respect for members of our race as we do for some other especially the white race? And that we were told, quite to the contrary, that we were from a land of savages, of cannibals. And except by the grace of God and the white man, we would have been a lost people, so we should be on our knees forever praying and thanking God that we were brought, even in slavery, to this land to escape the horrors of Africa. And this was brought in and drilled into us generation after generation. Africa, the second largest continent, is an area of almost 12 million square miles in size. It is comprised of 50 independent countries and populated by over 537 million people who speak over 1,000 languages and dialects. For eons, Africa's wealth has been a magnet that has attracted the entire world. The continent has been plundered for its vast mineral and human resources. Traditional historians have viewed this land as one of primitive savages who slept through the millennia contributing little to the cultural legacy of mankind. The facts, however, tell a different story. Scholars and scientists now concede that Africa is the birthplace of mankind. 
Africans were the first builders of civilization. They discovered mathematics, invented writing, developed sciences, engineering, medicine, religion, fine arts, and built the Great Pyramids, an architectural achievement which still baffles modern science. What caused the cradle of the world's oldest and greatest civilizations to crumble, leaving in its wake a people who are exploited, oppressed, and economically underprivileged? In a moment, Africa's downfall. Tony Brown's Journal is brought to you by Pepsi-Cola Company and your local Pepsi bottlers. Dr. Williams, it's an honor being able to, to meet with you and to talk with you. You have written what many of us consider to be the definitive work about the culture of Africans uh, throughout the world. And you approach it from the standpoint of the destruction of that civilization. Why did you choose the aspect of destruction rather than uh, some other point of view? The aspect of destruction was emphasized for the reason that it was quite clear that the black people in America seemed to be generally unaware that they had a history that they were told that they had achieved nothing. They were told... This man says the true facts are to be found in a more thorough and honest look at history. After Dr. Chancellor Williams, a native of Bennettsville, South Carolina, received his doctorate in history and sociology, he studied psychology, anthropology, archaeology, and economics. He also taught Arabic history and worked as a professor of history at Howard University for 29 years. He won an award from the Black Academy of Arts and Letters and was the first recipient of the 21st Century Foundation's Clarence L. Holt Prize for Excellence in Literature. Now, of course, the record uh, was there to show that much of Western civilization was built upon the foundation of the land where civilization itself had begun. And this was in Africa. Therefore, uh, the focus had to be on Africa to see to what extent uh, the re recent revelations with the turn of the uh, century, at the turn of the century, that Africa was the cradle of civilization. To what extent could this be actually verified? And so my work was directed in the uncovering uh, much of what had been lost, much of what had been disguised, much of what had been uh, stolen, refurbished, reworked, and presented to Western civilization as the work brought from Africa but presented to Western civilization as the creation of Western man. Dr. Chancellor Williams spent 16 years writing his book and although a piece of extraordinary research, he considered it a greater miracle that he was able to get it published. Plagued by a chronic lack of funds and turned down by his academic associates and all other sources, Dr. Williams mortgaged his home. Then another obstacle arose. Due to his rapidly failing eyesight, 
he was forced to abandon his earlier plans for an expanded three-volume work and had to settle for a condensed version of his research into a single volume, the book we now know as The Destruction of Black Civilization, Great Issues of a Race from 4,500 B.C. to 2,000 A.D. What did you find out about ancient African civilizations? Well, to begin with, I found out that uh, ancient African civilization was, first of all, the beginning of civilization. I found out that there could be no uh, record found anywhere that antedates the advanced civilization of Africa. And this was the finding of uh, European and other scholars. Uh, and they were now gradually admitting it. And when the evidence became overwhelming, the question arose, could Africans have achieved all this? Could Africans have achieved this remarkable uh, work in architecture that could be traced back for thousands of years before Christ, uh, before Western civilization had even started. Could Africans have done this? Could Africans have achieved this high advance in mathematics, in physics, in chemistry, in medicine, and so forth? I mean, many of the things we now glorify as modern. Uh, Tick, the Washington Monument, for example, which is an exact uh, a, a duplication of uh, ancient Af African architecture, which is uh, well known. And uh, most of the columns we see on these stately columns on buildings, which, which the Greeks, in studying in Africa, are borrowed from uh, the, uh, the Africans, remodel them, at, at uh, Doria, at Corinth, and so forth, gave these columns the name of the city in which they remodeled them and uh, gave them a Greek character. They really didn't do much changing. They merely removed the African acanthus leaf at the column and uh, uh, modified, but otherwise it, it was uh, substantially the same as Africa. Dr. Williams, uh were there ever laws uh, and rules that governed the entire continent of Africa? There, there were laws and rules that governed the entire continent in the same sense that you have uh, the same uh, system of laws and rules that uh, which uh, uh, govern uh, a whole people without the same time having a single government, a single state spreading over a whole continent, the second largest in the world. In other words, I'm saying that uh, while Africa in contradistinction to being a country with the second largest continent on earth, uh, and while the African people at one time in history uh, occupied the whole continent, and while, while they were one people in their general culture, 
in their general uh, religion with certain modifications, in their general social laws, in their general uh, legal system, right on down the line in almost every avenue you could find, you could find that there was a, this kinship. The only thing that they fundamentally different, uh, or where they fundamentally differed, was where, of course, when, when they divided up and formed separate states, or withdrew or to form separate societies and develop uh, different languages uh, from, the, uh, from the segmentation or, or separation from what had been uh, a larger language group. Uh, so that uh, the, you, there's, no, there's no problem at all in understanding that you had one people uh, occupying the continent without being under one single state. Dr. Williams, based on your research of history, is it accurate that democracy was born in Greece? No, democracy was not born in any one place. Uh, the record, as I indicate in this discussion on the chapter uh, dealing with the, the African Constitution, uh, birth of democracy, meaning birth of democracy in Africa, uh, I made it quite clear that uh, uh, democracy was a system that was natural among uh, the ancient peoples uh, in all stages of development, even even the most primitive societies, had their chiefs generally elected, and the the chiefs were generally uh, subject to the will of the group. Uh, so it was nothing unusual about the uh, the uh, the head of the society uh, being subject to the will of the tribe, uh, which was one of the uh, early forms of, of social organization. Uh, the, 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 the family, the clan, the tribe, the nation, which is a progressive step. So that uh, in Africa, you'll find that uh, back to times immemorial, uh, they had this, their own system of democracy. And it was this same system which could be found in every part of the African continent. The same fundamental laws, the same fundamental customs, no matter whether they were 5,000 miles apart, no matter whether the, the group had never come across the other group, they had the same system. That's why we know that they, we were dealing with substantially one people. So, so this, that, that democracy then was so long, so many thousands of years before Greece, that the mention of Greece 
in connection with where democracy began, could only bring smiles to the face of any scholar who has really studied world history. What were some of the specific African cultures, civilizations? These uh, civilizations, uh, I refer to them, of course, generally as uh, the great kingdoms and the great uh, uh, the empires uh, that existed uh, uh, all over the, the continent of Africa. Uh, to the south, perhaps the, the greatest, uh, at least one of the greatest, was the, the empire of uh, uh, Maimatapa, uh, of which uh, the present Zimbabwe is, uh, is a part of uh, what was once uh, a much larger empire. And then, of course, uh, the, those uh, empires of Mali and of, uh, of uh, Ghana, ancient Ghana, and it was Songhai, and it was a, a, the Marsi uh, uh, states, and uh, uh, so on. Uh, yet many of the, uh, these uh, countries had started in a period long before Christ was born. Ghana, for example, was, uh, had uh, for over 400 kings listed before Christ was born. So, so that uh, uh, these were uh, ancient uh, empires. The, the most important thing here, though, to note about these empires and our uh, last name is that all the, all the, the, the people in, uh, in America, all the blacks or Africans in, in the America, came from this, uh, this, this area of great nations, of a great educational system, where the greatest university of the time in which these, these slaves were being brought to America still was flourishing in its glory. That is, of course, the University of Sankor. Uh, the great civilizations in Nigeria, all of these were advanced cultures. So these people didn't come, as they were told and, and came to believe uh, after uh, they were, uh, had lost memory of, uh, of, of their, their homeland by the system of not allowing of people of the same language group to be sold to the same plantation, but scattering them uh, all over the South so that they, they, you wouldn't form a power, power base by having a lot of uh, Africans speaking the same language. So this helped to, to uh, by this breakdown of intercommunication among themselves, helped to them to uh, lose memory. But we were told, quite to the contrary, that we were from a land of savages of cannibals, and except by the grace of God and the white man, we would have been a lost people, so we should be on our knees forever praying and thanking God that we were brought, even in slavery, to this land to escape the horrors of Africa, and this was brought in and drilled into us generation after generation, until even today, after we've gone through from the uh, kindergarten through graduate school, the majority of blacks today uh, reject the idea of being called an Afro-American. Dr. Williams, if all of the things you say are true, if uh, uh, Africans had such advanced civilizations, uh, hundreds of, of kings and, and, and one uh, uh, African kings in one kingdom before Jesus Christ was born, how did Africans worldwide and Afro-Americans 
get in the shape they're in. How did these great kingdoms, this great civilization, fall to civilizations that were, didn't come along until thousands of years after theirs was, were already established? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't done overnight. Their great empires were built uh, through their industry, through their enterprising, through their uh, uh, industry in so many fields. And the whole societies, as I point out in the book, in practice all of them, were organized in lodges. That's, this, is where, this is where the, the organization of, uh, of uh, workers, but they, they, they regard themselves as, as uh, uh, craftsmen. And each, 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 each working group, whether it's building boats or whether they were stone masons or brick masons or whether they were carpenters or whatnot, each craft was organized into a lodge. In fact, the educational system was similarly organized on, 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 on a, a basis of three levels. And so you had uh, a, a society that went in for production. The people who, who were specialized in growing rice or cotton or peppers, or what have you. Did so not as Africans do today. Africans hardly, you hardly get Africans generally today to go beyond the subsistence level. Just enough for themselves, though they're scared to build a, produce a surplus for export and to sell the areas which do not produce the same things which they, which they produce and buy from the other people the things which the other people produce and which they don't have, which is trade, which is progress, which is the basis of wealth worldwide. See, what they're talking about, Reaganism and that sort of stuff, isn't anything new. The African were doing that ten, tens of thousands of years ago, a system of life. So they had regular trading posts, establishing different villages in other countries. They had a trading routes. They crossed the Sahara into other lands with merchandise, camels loaded with merchandise or spices, whatever the people produced. They were an industrial people. And they uh, sold, and they would import as well as export. And th this, is what the, this is what made them great. I try to emphasize that they, when you talk about the great African empire, they didn't just become great overnight, just great, though. No, they became great by doing specific things. They were great people. They were an industrious people. They were builders. They were producers. The whole nation was fired to, to produce, and they were rewarded for their work. And so they, they built cities and so forth and so forth. And so this is why you had this, this great uh, 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 system of nation building becoming so mighty. Now, how did they, why did they fall? They fell when, these, when, when this began to decline internally and when the forces, the external forces, over centuries of effort finally gained the day. These nations had lost strict laws, barring foreigners from coming to the interior. Then the same system of gradually settling around the borders, that is foreign traders, and uh, supposed to be traders, but most of them were uh, uh, geographers and others, 
represent the foreign would uh, would establish a little trading post. Just ask the permission to establish trading posts on the border. We don't want to come in. We don't come in. You can just want to do business with you. We want to sell you what we have. And we want to buy some of what you have. Well, the Africans are great traders. Always great traders. So that was one of the, the weaknesses. They allowed them to settle around the borders. For one thing. The second thing that happened, and this went on, as I point out in the destruction, for several thousand years before uh, the, the certain countries were finally uh, taken. And when they were taken, like Egypt, look how many times Egypt was taken and retaken. You say blacks gave up Egypt. Are you saying the Egyptians were black? Of course, the Egyptians were black. The name comes from the the the, the name itself, it has an origin in the in the the, uh, the the name of a black king, so that uh, it became either the Egyptians were black <laughs> until it became otherwise. Uh, they're not uh, black today, and uh, the the uh, just like the uh, those who occupy uh, the northern part of the Sudan. Uh, are not uh, black today. They are uh, 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 partly uh, partly Arab, uh, mostly Arab, and uh, uh, some of them are mixed. Afro, the Afro-Arabs, you might call them. You spend uh, quite a bit of, uh, of time in your book describing the ancient civilization of Ethiopia. What is it you find important about that civilization? Well, the ancient civilization of Ethiopia was the, 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 uh, the civilization of what we're now talking about when we talk about that whole stretch of land from the Mediterranean uh, to the source of the Nile, which was ancient Ethiopia. So Egypt was nothing but uh, what we call Egypt now, which was Chim uh, before the name was changed, uh, was nothing but the, a northern province of the Ethiopian Empire. You have a chapter here, Ethiopia's oldest daughter, Egypt. And I'd like to read you a statement you made and get you to comment on it. You say, the melting pot of the races began around the northern perimeter. The end result was always the same. The blacks were pushed to the bottom of the social, economical, and political ladder whenever and wherever the Asians and their mulatto offsprings gained control. Why is that? Why? Why, if with this advanced African civilization, when they interfaced with, with members of other groups, why did the members of that civilization always end up on the bottom of the ladder? Uh, we have always been, as I uh, repeatedly point out, uh, the race of brotherhood seekers. We have been the one who forever have carried on the drive for brotherhood with other people. They have never sought brotherhood with us, never, except for expediency, where they saw an opportunity uh, to play the role of big brother for a while, while they uh, uh, gained con effective control. Now, uh, they're cunning, you see. They study us, and they, they know this. They have they have certain basic advantages. They can easily win our confidence, first of all, because Africa, the whole continent of Africa, was known as 
the land of the religious people. Uh, we, we were always, we didn't start the, all this religion in America, you know, being more religious than the whites. No, this is an African characteristic. We were, uh, we were known from ancient times as the land of the spiritual people, the land of the gods, uh, because we were so religious. The blameless people, homeless wrote, uh, we, we were so religious. Uh, so this must be kept in, kept in mind in, in this general, general appraisal. How significant was the oral historian in the reconstruction of African history? Well, the oral historian was indispensable. If you're going to, uh, if you're going to make a comparative study of history, in which you're going to, you're going to compare uh, what had been written, and since it all was written by foreigners, uh, with what the the Africans themselves had written, and the records of their mind, and their records, and the records of their mind turned out to be <laughs> as as uh, accurate and as uh, unerring in many respects as uh, as uh, what is written in, in, in books. For a transcript, send $2 to Tony Brown Productions, 1501 Broadway, Suite 2014, New York, New York, 10036. Welcome back, and uh, that was the... Thank you. 
like you, author of about 40 books, uh, noted scholar, uh, often kept from the uh, university for, for decades and decades, uh, close, very close to Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois and his literary executor. Uh, we have so much to talk about, I don't know where to begin. Could you just, just give us something of your, quick on your background? Well, I'm uh, 82 years old. I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, I was uh, formally educated at Columbia, where I got my doctor's degree. I was uh, in the field artillery in World War II and uh, fought in France and Belgium and Holland and Germany and uh, was slightly injured, but nothing serious. And came home. Uh, I uh, was appalled by the uh, situation that I witnessed in the South when I was a youngster of 15 or 16 in the early 30s. Uh, I had been largely raised by a wonderful Afro-American woman and uh, she was like my mother. 
I loved her uh, next only uh, to my mother. This was Angelina Corbin. And when I went down there in the middle of the Depression, 1930-31, and saw the unbelievable conditions south of the Mason-Dixon line, uh, of course, I was a kid, but I had a column in the high school newspaper at Erasmus, and uh, I devoted it to what I call the dark side of the South. And uh, I don't know if people keep kept re reading it, but I kept writing it. And uh, from then on, more or less devoted my life to investigating, explaining, and combating this scourge of uh, racism. I don't know how long you want me to talk about Well, I just wanted to you know, make reference to what you did going down to Georgia in the middle 30s, yes. essentially helping slaves escape. Yes, I was uh, down there under a pseudonym. Uh, we had established uh, through the initiative of a black fellow, a lawyer from uh, Chicago, uh, who had come from Oglethorpe County in Georgia, where uh, peonage or actual slavery existed. It's a long story, but uh, uh, what finally happened, uh, an abolished peonage committee was founded, W.C. Handy and uh, all sorts of famous people were on it. I was its secretary, and someone had to go down there and he had to be white. So I went down there and uh, under a pseudonym. It had all been uh, prearranged. The folks knew I was coming and so on and so forth. Anyway, we were able to uh, free uh, in an underground railroad with friends. Uh, we uh, got bus tickets and no more than two people would go at one time. And they'd go south, not north. They'd go to New Orleans, where friends had a bookstore, and then they'd be met and sent up to Nashville and from Nashville to Chicago and be free. We kept this up. Uh, I stayed in different uh, rooms every night and so on. And uh, one night while I was shaving, I was a kid. I used to shave about twice a week. A black man was uh, mopping outside our little uh, lavatory, and he said, go home. And I turned to him, and I said, what did you say? He didn't look at me, but he said in a louder voice, go home now, which meant I'd been discovered. I'd used the name Beale down there. So that day, I took a bus and went to Atlanta and then went home. I don't know who that man was, but he saved my life. So we uh, carried on a battle against peonage and uh, won a couple of court cases. The thing that really broke uh, peonage at that time was the invention of a mechanical cotton picker by the Russ brothers, I think around 1940. And also, of course, the war where uh, hundreds of thousands of black uh, troops were required. Uh, so that's a little bit of a story of uh -huh. battle against peonage. What, what about your early writings? You really well, thought... Uh, Go ahead. Because of this uh, deep interest, uh, 
And I was a student of history at Columbia. I got my master's in 37 and my doctor's a few years later. And my master's was on Nat Turner's Rebellion, which at that time was pretty much unknown. This was in Virginia in 1831, and it was one of the leading actual outbreaks of the slaves against their enslavement. So uh, I studied that uh, very intensively and went down to the Library of Congress and uh, so on and so forth, did a great deal of work. And in connection with that, I uh, met and was encouraged by the great Carter G. Woodson, who's the father of blank history, as you perhaps know. Uh, he uh, met me once at the train station. We couldn't eat in a restaurant in those days. We could only eat in a, a sort of a stool place in the Union Station. Uh, but uh, he invited me back, and I remember we went back. I went back, I don't know, a month or two later, and he met me. He was, of course, much older than I. I was a kid of 20. And he took me to the ghetto, to a restaurant. I remember it was down down below street level. It was daylight, and I was a little startled. Uh, I showed that as we went down. He took my arm, and uh, he said what I'll never forget. He said, Herbert, you may eat with us. We are civilized. <laughs> so uh, he, uh, he was a mentor. He's really the founder of what we call Negro history. He established the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History in 1915 and the Journal of Negro History, which is still published. He died in 1950. Right. You also uh, associated with uh, Paul Robeson around this time. Yes, uh, I uh, knew uh, Paul, and uh, once in a while we uh, shared platforms once. <laughs> Columbia, South Carolina, at a great mass meeting. I don't know who arranged this, but he had spoken and had sung with his magnificent presence and voice. And then here I come, I'm introduced to say something about black history, <laughs> which was quite a moment for me. I don't remember what the hell I said, but... Hard what? act to follow. <laughs> I can that was, that was in South Carolina. By the way... Uh, we had a jammed meeting. It was a Southern uh, Negro Youth Congress uh, which organized that. We also called it SNCC. And uh, Jim Jackson, who is living, and uh, Louis Burnham, who isn't, were the main organizers. Yes, Jim Jackson's still here in Brooklyn. Yeah, no, he's in, yes, he's in Brooklyn, yes. Uh, Jim was a heroic, and I, he's a marvelous person. Yes, yes. Uh, so... Uh, Anyway, uh, the sheriff came and looked at the thousands and thousands of people inside and outside and decided to hell with it. He was not going to enforce the Jim Crow regulation. I remember that vividly. So uh, it was all part of the struggle, and I've been in it uh, all my life. And uh, then uh, my master's thesis on that turned out was finally published in the 60s. Nobody would publish it in the 30s. But in the 60s, with all the commotion, it was published. It's in print. 
And uh, meanwhile, I developed uh, my study of uh, uh, slave rebellion in general. Right. And wrote about that uh, beginning in the 30s, and then my doctor's uh, dissertation, which was published uh, by Columbia in 1943. You know, I, I think we have to pause to let the listeners know what the significance was of discussing and letting the public know about slave rebellions. Yes. You want to respond to that? Well, you're quite right. Uh, the dominant view, which was, of course, part of the racism, was that the Afro-American uh, here uh, was docile and passive and accepted his enslavement. In fact, uh, loved it. Uh, this, of course, was part of the racist mythology. I uh, knew in my bones that this could not be true. I knew black people. I knew Jim Jackson. I knew, knew Lou Burnham. I knew my dear Angela Corbin. And I, I mean, this was just obviously a part of a rationalization for Jim Crow and the terrible treatment of black people. So. Uh, with this foreknowledge, I went into the field of uh, studying and went to the sources, manuscripts, and uh, so on. I had uh, some difficulty, uh, which might be interesting. I, uh, I began to publish. I published The Negro in the Civil War, I think in 1938, and then a brief study of rebellion called Negro Slave Revolts in 39. And the Negro in the American Revolution, and the Negro in the Abolitionist Movement in the early 40s. So I was by then pretty well known. That's why the uh, fellow came to see me about the peonage uh, business when I went down there. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, there I was uh, deeply engaged in this, and uh, finally uh, went to various archives. Uh, I remember uh, when I went to uh, Columbia, South Carolina, to the memorial building where they had the main library and the documents that I needed. Uh, the uh, woman, the librarian, uh, white woman, of course, uh, said uh, that uh, what I wanted uh, they couldn't find. They couldn't find. They couldn't find. Finally, through my thick skull, I realized they were not going to find it. Well, I was uh, staying then, visiting then a marvelous uh, black woman, a historic figure, Mojeska Simpkins, who was a leader of the struggle back there. I told Mojeska of this problem. She picked up the phone and uh, spoke to uh, what was called a janitor. He was actually the archivist. And she told him about the needs of this young fellow. She vouched for me. And uh, we set up an appointment, and he met me Sunday morning uh, in front of the memorial building. Opened it, and I had the archives uh, before me. And this was basic uh, to my American Negro slave revolts, because the documents were full of court records and so on and so forth. Uh, I could not, uh, at the time I published the book, I could not. Uh, pay tribute uh, to this fellow. He probably would have been 
at least fired, maybe killed. I don't know what would happen to. But that's part of the uh, story, part of the struggle, part of what went on in those days. By the way, Mojeski is gone now. She died a, a few years ago. A heroic and historic uh, black woman, a tremendous figure. Somebody ought to write a biography of Mojeska Simpkins of South Carolina. Very, very good. I, I, I must admit, as a, uh, as a, as a fellow researcher, I've been amazed. At, I've always wanted to ask you this question, Herbert. How, in, in particularly doing your eight-volume or seven-volume documentary history... Seven. Seven, seven volumes. Yes. Okay. How did you transcribe those documents? Did you have any kind of a device with you? That's a very interesting question because those uh, books, uh, volume one... Uh, was published in 1951, and I worked on it furiously when I came back from the war for a few years. But uh, in those days, uh, you had to write with a pen and a pencil, and uh, some of the rare documents, for instance, the Library of Congress, uh, you were not allowed to use a fountain pen in transcribing those documents. and there were no mechanical devices. Uh, it was just a typewriter. That's all we had. We went back home. So uh, that first volume, which is published in two volumes now by Citadel, the first volume appeared in 51. It's about uh, 900 pages. I have an original set. Yes. Yeah, so Signed by you. you. <laughs> yes. Well, there it is. And uh, it finally was published in uh, 51. Uh it was uh, uh, the the uh, documents that are published are about half of those that I discovered, but uh, the publisher pleaded with me, you know, and finally we agreed and made it one volume, and at that it's almost a hundred thousand pages. So, yeah. But uh, the, I owe a great deal to that uh, publisher. Uh, at that time, Philip Foner, the historian, was associated with Citadel Press and Morris Sorkin. Uh, was one of the partners. They're both gone. Mm-hmm. But Citadel stayed with me uh, right on through the seven volumes. So, and in those days, uh, to publish Aptaker, I was pretty notorious with my radical activities. And to publish Aptaker on what we call the Negro question <laughs> was actually heroic. You know, it was I, her- heroic. I, I think have, people, you're right, and I don't think people can understand that. Yes, to, to, well, to write on slave revolts was to arouse suspicion. Yeah. And then, of course, you were doing it as the first. That's right. That's right. It, it was really something. As I think back at it, uh, I marvel at the uh, fact that people were willing to uh, help me and stand by me. And uh, without that, of course, uh, nothing could have been done. By the way... <laughs> Standing by, I've been married to Faye over 60 years, so when it comes to standing by, there she That's is. That's a my, my prize example, right. And uh, she, in, in fact, typed my 500-page uh, dissertation, American Negro Slave Revolts, in five copies on a portable typewriter. Uh, this was a test of love, if there ever was one. Welcome back. And uh, that's going to conclude uh, our program for today. Uh, we just heard uh, excerpts uh, from an interview uh, with uh, 
African-American documentary historian, uh, Herbert Aptecker, uh, being interviewed by William Lawrence Katz. And uh, if you'd like to have access to today's program, all you need to do is go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. Uh, that's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. Not only can you have access to today's program, but well over 1,200 other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. We're going to close out uh, with Detroit's own Charles McPherson, uh, an album that was released in 1964 entitled Bebop Revisited. This is uh, Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week.